standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. Before we begin, I would like to invite you to kneel with me where possible so we can invite the presence of the Lord to be here with us. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, to have you in our lives. Father, help us to rely on Christ every day and every moment of our lives. Help us to look upon Him, for we know that by beholding we become changed. Father, I pray for a special blessing now as we open your word. I pray that what we talk about this morning will not be my words, but that it will be your words. Father, please open our minds and our hearts to meditate upon the verses that we're going to study. And may they have a transformational effect in our lives. We thank you and we pray and ask this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, and we'll read verse 1. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. And it says there, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Brothers and sisters, we're living in peculiar times. We're living in peculiar times. There's a season and a time for everything under the sun. This is why we have been walking with Christ together inside the sanctuary. Is Jesus Christ in the holy place today? And how do we know that? In the Old Testament, the Jewish people were given an example or a type of what was to come with respect to the plan of salvation. Now, could the blood of goats and lambs and bulls pay the price for our sins? No. Absolutely not. Now, does that mean that the Jewish people were not to follow that guidance that was given to them? They were. They were. It was a lesson. It was to remind them of what? Of the sinfulness of sin. Every time, can you imagine? I cannot even imagine having to do what they did. Bringing a, a little innocent lamb and running a knife to the, through the throat of that lamb. I cannot picture that. I don't even know how I could do something like that. But it was a reminder for them so they could understand the sinfulness of sin. So within that one year, one calendar year, within the Jewish economy, we had how many feasts? And we can see them on, on the screen here. We had seven feasts. Four in the spring and three in the fall. And as you can see, we begin with Passover. Then we move on to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost. These were the four spring feasts. And from then on, we move into the fall. We have the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, unfortunately, there has been some sort of a confusion with respect to understanding the difference between type and anti-type. Between the shadow and the original. Where is Jesus Christ today? Let's go 
to the Bible to a very popular verse that we are all very familiar with, and it's found in the book of Daniel, chapter 8 and verse 14. And it says there, And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Cleansed from what? What is inside that sanctuary that was not cleansed at the cross? The records of all of our sins. Was the atonement completed at the cross? If it were, then the sanctuary would not have to be cleansed. There would have been no cleansing at the end of the 2300 day prophecy. Would there have been? This is the foundation of the Advent message. This is why we came into, exist into existence. The sanctuary message is what separates us as a movement from all the other movements, from all the other denominations. Nobody understands the sanctuary message the way we understand it, because no one else has been given the light with respect to this subject. It was given to the Advent people. And as I mentioned, there has been, unfortunately, somewhat of a confusion, because where is Jesus going to be next spring if we are still here? He would still be in the most holy place. Why would still be in the most holy place? Because the anti-typical day of atonement would still be continuing on. It has been going on since what year? When did the 2300 day prophecy come to an end? 1844. So, so since 1844, up until today, tomorrow, and the day after, until that service is complete, Jesus Christ will be in the most holy place. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation that in the end days, there will be a group of people who are going to follow Christ whithersoever He goeth. I want to ask you a question. Do you want to be with Jesus wherever He is? Amen. Amen. Now, even though we're living in the antitypical Day of Atonement, there are certain things that we are to consider because, like I mentioned earlier, what the Jewish people did was, what? A shadow of things to come. So I would like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, and we'll read verses 26 to 32. And it says there, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You know, brothers and sisters, this day took place once a year. One day out of 365 days, the Lord dedicated to this particular service. It was recognized as the most solemn day of the calendar year. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be what? Cut off from his people. These are pretty serious words, aren't they? So could the Jewish people be doing whatever they wanted to do on that day? No, they were to afflict their souls. And if they did not afflict their souls, they were going to be what? Cut off from the congregation. 
And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. Now, if we take this one sentence out of context, then we might say, well, that's a pretty serious thing. Could God really be that serious? Well, God had given them the instructions. No one needed to suffer the consequences if they followed the instructions. Mm -hmm. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls on the night day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. Brothers and sisters, how do you see this typical instruction taking place today on the anti-typical Day of Atonement. Do you not think that we're living in one of the most solemn time periods of Earth's history? Once, one day out of 365 days. Now, they were not to have any work, so we should not misunderstand the type with the anti-type. We should look at the symbolism or the meaning behind what they were uh, told to do. And we have some young people, and I want to speak specifically to them with respect to this, because when I was their age, um, I had not come to this understanding. Now, it's said that we're not to do any work. Now, if none of us work, if we all quit our jobs and we just sit around, who is going to provide for our families? So obviously we're not to do what they were instructed to do. And it was only one day. We, like we mentioned, we've been in the anti-typical Day of Atonement since 1844. But if I can give you any advice, it would be to seek the Lord with all your heart so He can lead you into the position, into the career, into whatever it is that you want to do with your life. Because it is not a time for work. It is a time to glorify God through our work. Maybe God wants you to be a doctor because He has plans for you. Maybe God wants you to be a nurse, a lawyer. Maybe God wants you to be a carpenter. I cannot tell you what it is that God wants from you. And the only one who can tell you this is Him. So if I can give you one advice, it would be to seek Him in prayer with all your heart so that you know that you're living according to His guidance and His instructions. Because brothers and sisters, we're living in peculiar times. Mm -hmm. We're living in a time when the world needs to be warned of the second coming of Christ. And we're to do this not just by speaking from the pulpit, not just by being Sabbath school teachers. We are to do this in our homes, with our relatives, and at work. We're to be a channel for the love of Christ. And only He can lead us to make the best decision in life without regretting later on in life that we have walked in the wrong direction. I want to share two quotes with you from uh, the writings of Alan White. And the first one is found in the Review and Herald, August 12th. 1884 and it says there we are now living in the antitypical day of atonement 
the great and solemn closing work is going forward in the sanctuary above. Every man is required to afflict his soul before God. Every heart is required to be in harmony with the divine will. We're dealing with a problem that puts us out of harmony with the divine will, brothers and sisters. But in this quote, it says that every heart is required to be in harmony with the divine will. This is the time that we're living in. Great Controversy, page 430, paragraph 3. In the typical service, when the high priest entered the most holy place, all Israel were required to gather about the sanctuary in the most solemn manner, humble their souls before God that they might receive the pardon of their sins and not be cut off from the congregation. How much more essential in this antitypical day of atonement that we understand the work of our high priest and know what duties are required of us. If it were so important for those who are living in the typical service, how much more important is it for us today? There's a time for everything, brothers and sisters, and the time has come for all of us to understand the seriousness of the times that we're living in. We're living in the anti-typical day of atonement. How long is Jesus Christ going to continue to be in the most holy place? Until the cleansing of the sanctuary is complete. Now, we're not given with a date per se, but we know that once that cleansing is complete, something else will take place. We're going to enter another phase in this earth's history that has never taken place before. So please turn with me to Daniel chapter 12, and we'll read verse 1. Daniel 12, verse 1. And it says there, At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince, who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a what? A time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. There is a time for everything under the sun. And a time is coming of trouble such as never was before. Even at that time, and at that time, your people, whose people? Is the whole world going to be delivered? No. no. Only those who have chosen to be on the side of Christ. Everyone who is found written in the book. We need to understand what this standing up of Michael is in reference to. What is going to take place when Michael stands up? And in order to do this, we're going to go through a few verses in the Bible that deal with the beginning of the work of our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. So please turn with me to the book of Mark 16, verse 19. And it says there, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and did what? Sat down. And sat down at the right hand of God. 
So we see something completely opposite of from what we read in Daniel chapter 12. Is Jesus standing up here? No. When is this taking place? What does the verse say? As soon as he went up into heaven, he sat down on the right hand of God. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Where was Jesus, or what was Jesus to do? To sit on the right hand of the majesty on heaven. Same book, chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. So that's Hebrews chapter 10, 11 and 12. And it says there, And every priest stands ministering. I want you to pay attention to these words. Because this is speaking of which ministers? Every, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. What service is this in reference to? Is this in reference to the service that is going on in the heavenly sanctuary? No, this is in reference to what took place on the earth. So how were the priests ministering on the earthly sanctuary? They were standing. Which can never take away sins. So standing, even if you're ministering, can never take away sins. So please remember that. Now there was a, there's a lot more with respect to the service that was insufficient, but I just want to draw this parallel between this particular word that we see here. But this man, speaking of Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So you're presented with two types of priests. One came from the Levitical system, and they were offering their sacrifices how? Standing. But that was not enough. That was not sufficient. The sacrifice was not sufficient in and of itself. But that shadow was replaced with the original. With the anti-type that could actually pay for our sins. That could atone for our sins. And that could eventually clean the sanctuary from our sins. There's a different order of priesthood brought into here. It is no longer the Levitical priesthood, but rather the priesthood of who? Christ. He was of the order of Melchizedek. The shadow can never satisfy the requirements of God's holy law. One more verse found in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Romans 8, 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So we know that Jesus Christ is in the right hand, sitting on the right hand of God, and He's doing what while He's sitting on the right hand of God? So for as long as He continues to be sitting on the right hand of God, He will be interceding for all of us. Keep that in mind, please. Let's go back to the book of Daniel, and we're not going to deal with prophecy per se. We're just going to go over a few things that we are familiar with.
And we know that within the 2300-day prophecy, which all of us in one way or another are very familiar with, there was another prophecy that was put within that 2300-day prophecy. So we'll find that in the book of Daniel, the ninth chapter, and we'll read verse 24. And it says there, Seventy weeks are determined for your people. Whose people? Daniel's people, the Jewish people, who are supposed to be also God's people, weren't they? And for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin. Seventy weeks were given to that group of people to put an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Now let me ask you a question. Were the Jewish people supposed to do that on their own? Could the Levitical system put an end to sin? No. No. All of, all of these prophecies were pointing to who? Christ, because He is the only one who could forgive us for our sins, as we learned two days ago. But then furthermore, do what? Sanctify us and cleanse us from sin and help us to build up characters for the heavenly courts. We know that this prophecy began in the year 457 B.C., and we know that 70 weeks, when multiplied by 7, come to 490 days. And when we take the day for a year principle, we're left with 490 years. So this was the time period within which that group of people was supposed to put an end to sin. Moving forward, 490 years, we come to what year? 34 A.D. And we know history. We know our Bibles. So let's see what happened in 34 AD. So please turn with me to the book of Acts. And pay attention to what happens here, specifically with Jesus Christ. In comparison to the four verses that we just read. So that's Acts chapter 7 verses 54 to 58. And it says there, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. It was Stephen speaking, and they were cut to the heart. Now, there's two options when you're cut to the heart. You could take it and repent and come to Christ, or we'll see what happens if that does not take place. And they gnashed at him with their teeth, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus, what is Jesus doing now? Standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Why was Jesus standing at the right hand of God 490 years later? Why was He not sitting at the right hand of God? Because that group of people, God had given 490 years, 70 weeks to complete something. And they had not done it. The time was up. And Michael stood up for the people 
of Israel collectively, not individually, as a nation. At that point, Israel was at its close of probation. They were no longer to be the means by which God was going to take the gospel to the world. They had failed to do what God asked them to do. So when Michael stands up, what takes place? The close of probation. Now, brothers and sisters, what we read in Daniel 12.1 is not dealing with the Jewish people. What we read in Daniel 12 verse 1 is dealing with this world. The moment Michael stands, probation will close for all of humanity. And once probation closes, Christ will no longer be able to do what? Intercede. On the right hand of His Father. Intercede. Intercede. But is that the second coming? No. What happens once probation closes? A time of trouble such as never was before. So if Christ is going to stand up and no longer intercede for His people, and if His people, as we read in Daniel 12:1, are going to be delivered, then what does that tell us? That these people are going to be delivered through that time by not having anything that Christ would have to intercede for them for. Nobody past that time would have a mediator in the heavenly courts. The service is complete. No more forgiveness. The time will be over. Now, unlike the Jewish people though, Jesus will have a people this time. The, the Jews did not do it, but the antitypical Jews are going to do it because that's what the Bible tells us. And Jesus is going to have a people that are going to stand in that time. So turn with me to Revelation 6 and we'll go through the sixth seal very quickly. Revelation 6, 12 to 17. And it says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. Brothers and sisters, do you want to be among these people? Because I most certainly do not want to be among these people. And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So I want to ask you this morning, who shall be able to stand when that day, which is coming upon this earth, will be here? If we carry on into the next chapter, chapter 7, we're now introduced with a group of people 
that the Lord is waiting on. So let's read the next three verses. So that's Revelation chapter 7, and let, let us read verse 1 to 3. Revelation 7, 1 to 3. And it says there, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Brothers and sisters, is the second coming conditional? I should rephrase myself. Is God want, waiting on something to take place in order for the second coming to come? Yes. yes. And it will. And what did we read was here? Why were the angels holding back the winds? Because the servants of God were not yet sealed. And what would happen the moment the servants of God are sealed? The angels are going to let go of these winds. Notice what we find in the great controversy. Uh, that's page 458, Great Controversy. And it says there, It was not the will of God that Israel should wander 40 years in the wilderness. It was not God's will. They were to leave Egypt and head straight into the Promised Land. They were not to wander 40 years in the wilderness. He desired to lead them directly to the land of Canaan and establish them there, a holy, happy people. You see how holiness and happiness goes hand in hand? But they could not enter in because of what? Because of unbelief. Brothers and sisters, if we lack faith, we're not going to be able to enter the promised land. Because of their backsliding and apostasy, even in the midst of those who profess to have all the light that they need. They perished in the desert, and others were raised up to enter the promised land. In like manner, it was not the will of God that the coming of Christ should be so long delayed. Why haven't the angels let go of the winds? God's people are not, have not been sealed. And His people should remain so many years in this world of sin and sorrow. But unbelief separated them from God. Without faith, brothers and sisters, it is impossible to please Him. So, I want to ask you, who shall be able to stand in that last day? Who are those who are going to be sealed? What kind of people are they? In Revelation 22, verses 11 to 12, we see a proclamation that is made exactly at the time when Michael shall stand. And it says there, He who is unjust, let him be what? Unjust still. Why would he be unjust still? What happens once Michael stands up? There's no more interceding. So can an unjust person come back from the unrighteousness that he has found himself into? No. There's not going to be anyone to help him do that. Christ is done with His work. There's no more forgiveness. And He says, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be what? Righteous. So who are the righteous? Those are the people of God 
that are going to be delivered in that time as we read in Daniel chapter 12. And they're going to be what kind of people? Righteous, Righteous people and holy people. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. These are the two groups of people that we're going to have after Michael stands up. And if we are alive at that time, brothers and sisters, we're going to have to find ourselves in one of those two groups of people. I want to share something with you that we find in the Review and Herald. And these are very solemn words. October 23rd, 1888. Very interesting year. It says, Our probation is soon to close. Soon will the voice from the throne declare, It is done. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. So she's quoting Revelation 22, mm -hmm. just as we just, the same verse we just read a minute ago. The work of man's redemption will soon be ended. The last prayer for sinners will have been offered. No more forgiveness for sin. The last tears shed, the last warning given. Satan knows this, and he's making one last mighty effort to destroy the souls of men. This is why we need to abide in Christ more than ever before. Satan knows that he has but a little time. And he's trying to come up with all sorts of delusions. <coughs> False doctrines, we see that all around us that are going to influence our faith and separate us from Christ and not allow us to find ourselves to be among those people that are going to stand. Especially does he work to entice into his ranks the professed followers of Christ. It should be us. For he can work through them with the greatest effect to destroy others. Did you hear this? If Satan gets a hold of a Christian, he can achieve more than if he were to take hold of someone who has nothing to do with religion. Mm. And I see that every day now, yes. brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. It is unfortunate, but it is part of this world. While Christians are sleeping at their post, Satan is active, vigilant, and untiring. None are secure from his wiles. We are each playing the game of life and Satan is working with all his skill and cunning to rob us of every heavenly grace and it, its place to introduce the passions of the carnal heart. We have to fight against self every day and every hour, moment by moment. Because this is what Jesus needed to do and Jesus had to do this because he was a brother to every one of us. He faced the same temptations that you and I have faced. And because he overcame, he's able to do what? To succor, to aid those of us who have to fight against the passions that we have. He's never off the watch. He stands ready to take advantage of every unguarded moment and to assail us at every weak point with all deceivableness of unrighteousness 
he pursues his works. Brothers and sisters, we're living in the antitypical Day of Atonement. It is the most solemn period of Earth's history. The most solemn period. We're to afflict our souls every day of our lives. And if we're not on guard, He will get us. Because that's what He's waiting for. There are two masters in this world. And you can be slave of either one of those two masters. You can be a slave of righteousness, and as we just read in Revelation 22, there will be a group of people who are going to be slaves of righteousness. But you could be a slave of what? Evil. Of sin, of evil. It is just a matter of which of one of those two masters you're working together with. So turn with me to Romans 6, 16 and 18. And it says there, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you're that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set from sin, you become slaves of what? Righteousness. Of righteousness. And brothers and sisters, how are we set free from sin? Let's go back just a few verses in the exact same very chapter and read verses 7 to 11. And it says there, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with who? With Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over me. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How can we die? We need to die according to these verses. We ought to die. And unless we die, there, there's not going to be any success of righteousness. Let's go to Galatians, the second chapter, and read verse 20. And it says there, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but who? But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And there's different kinds of faith, but only one true faith. And let us not forget this. In the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. As I look into the world, I see that time is coming to an end. And if the things that are happening in the world are showing us the time is coming to an end, then you know what else is taking place? People are being sealed. I want to share with you in closing why the Apostle Paul became a minister of the gospel. And we find this in the book of Colossians chapter 1. And we'll read verses 24 to 29. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church, 
of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man. Are we doing this today? Are we preaching this today? Are we warning the world of what's coming? And the two groups of people that are going to stand, or the only one group of people I should say, that is going to stand very soon once Michael stands up. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man what? Sinful to God? No, brothers and sisters. It says, every man perfect. On his own? No. In Christ Jesus. Only he can forgive me for my past. Only he can step in and say, don't look at him and the things he has done in the past. Look at me. I have a righteous life. But it does not, does not end there, does it? It does not end with forgiveness. Because then he should be able to say, look at him. I wrote out a character that reflects me in him. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And if this was the reason why Apostle Paul became a minister, what better reason for all of us today to minister to others? Minister to our children, to our spouses, to our co-workers, in whatever way God wants to use us, in our schools. This is what we need to minister today. What is this glory that Paul was speaking of? What is the glory that Apostle Paul was talking about? And so that you do not hear it from me, I will present it to you from the lips of someone whom I believe was inspired by Christ Himself. To what church or people do you belong if Christ is formed within the hope of glory? What is that glory character Amen. character brothers and sisters that is the glory that the Lord is waiting to see upon this earth this is what the Lord wants and no it is not legalistic the desire to be like Jesus and to allow him to work in your heart so that you can become like him shall we pray Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, Oh Lord, I pray, Father, that you help us to understand the seriousness and the solemnity of the times that we're living in. Father, the light has been given to us. Truth has been revealed to us. Help us not to take it lightly, but help us to strive to come closer and closer to you every day of our life. Father, we have people here from all different backgrounds, all different ages. 
Lord, help us to be ministers of the gospel with whatever it is that we do. At home, in school, at work, in ministry. Whatever it is, Lord, that you have appointed us to do. Help us to surrender to you and to allow you to truly live in us through the Holy Spirit of your Son. And for us to surrender our will to yours. So that we can be molded and shaped into the likeness of your beloved Son. Father, I want everyone that is here to be able to stand when that day comes. And may your blessing be upon every soul that is here today and upon those who are watching online. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to know this and more so for giving us the strength to become this. We pray and ask all of this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth. Pioneer Health and Missions.